Hey friends, before we dive into the show, I've got something for you. Fellow doctors, entrepreneurs, professionals, busy people in general. Sometimes getting a meal in is difficult and we miss it. It happens, but we need to fuel our body with what it needs to be productive. And let's not forget, eating is important to look after our basic health. I want to tell you about Y Food. It's a balanced, simple and wholesome ready to drink meal. Yes, meal. That means it does keep you full for about five hours, making sure you don't become unproductive or hangry. But also it's packed with 26 vitamins and minerals and a whole 33 grams of protein. They're not joking about when they say a meal. I've dropped their link in the description with a 10% discount code. Check it out. Let's head back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Scrubbed In Show. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week, we're joined by another super awesome guest. We have with us Dr. Claudia, who is a medical advisor for Flow, who's working remotely in sunny Cyprus. She is a fully qualified GP. And prior to Flow, she was at Babylon Health as marketing and content manager. Claudia, you are the envy of many, many clinicians across the UK with your, you know, your remote job in sunny Cyprus. But um, it's a massive pleasure to have you on the show today. How are you? Welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm all right. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, got a nice, nice view of um, palm trees in the wind, but that's it. I'm, I'm not going to rub it in anymore. I'll leave it there. No, no. <laughs> that's fine. We're, we're going to come to that in a moment. But as is the tradition with the Scrubbed In Show, we want to take it to the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll start with the beginning of your journey when you kind of embarked on this journey to study medicine, to become a doctor. Uh, why don't you start from there? Yeah, so for for me, I come from, like, I guess many doctors, a family of doctors, like generations of medics. My parents are doctors, grandparents are doctors. So uh, in part, I feel like I didn't know any different. And, uh, mm. and so it sort of seemed like the right thing to do, like the natural path for me to take. But at the same time, I loved science. I really enjoyed the idea of looking after people and taking care of people and working with the public. So all in all, I thought this is going to be a great, a great job, a great career choice for me. Let's go for it. I applied uh, to a variety of universities in London. I got into UCL. I absolutely loved my time at UCL. It was it was brilliant. And then Mm. uh, when I finished medical school, I went straight into GP training did mm-hmm. in total about five years. So FYN1, FY2, then GP training did in total probably about five years of it because I had two and a half children during that time because I was <laughs> towards the end of my third pregnancy as I, as I did my MRCGP. Um, and then, yeah, came out the other end, a fully qualified GP, and I was doing a combination of locuming and um, doing some private GP work. Yeah, I was doing a, a little bit mm. of everything clinically when I'm everything. when I finished. Mm. Mm. Tell us the reason why you pursued GP training as to medicine, hospital medicine, surgery. Uh, I really loved Dobbs and Gynae. Uh, that's what Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the most. I thought it was a super logical Mm. specialty. I thought it was really exciting as well. It's a really thrilling specialty, but um, I realized that it involved surgery after a period of time. (laughs) I thought, oh God, maybe I'm not cut out for surgery. So what else can I do where I'm doing lots of women's health and then also a bit of pediatrics. Mm. I also really loved psychiatry and GP seemed like the best 
fit for me because it was a little bit of everything. And also all my life, I've always loved doing lots of little things rather than just one mm, thing. Mm. I, I've always been someone like that. So I, I, I thought it was, you know, the choice, the specialty that suited me the best. Mm, mm. No. Amazing. Tell us a little bit about, so GP, in terms of the career being becoming a GP, it's not often considered as a, as a student, right? Because uh, the glamours in uh, the hospital stage and everything. But later on, we realise, you know what, it's a very cool job. Tell us some, a bit, some about the challenges, about how it tests you, the, the job itself, some of the, the burdens that you have as a general practitioner. Mm. Um, that would be quite cool to hear. Yeah, it's true. You know, in a way, I'm sad that, that it's still like that because you guys, I guess you're a generation younger than me. One generation, two generations, mm. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't think we're that young. We're, we're not that young, all right? We're, we're super close in age. <laughs> but you look younger than me by far. <laughs> so, and I, I'm, in a way, I'm quite sad you say that because... When I was training or when, when I was at medical school, it was very much, oh, general practice, you know, it's not very cool. It's not very sexy. It's that thing that people fall into when they can't choose a specialty or when they fail to get into a specialty. I remember that being the vibe. And I thought that changed. I actually thought that changed. So as I started applying for general practice, it was so hard to get a post. They used to be underfilled. And then at the time when I was applying for training, it was, you know, a huge competition, especially for the posts in London. So I'm I'm sad that it sort of has, still has that kind of reputation because I certainly felt towards the end of my training that, that the tide was turning a little bit and people were quite quite keen and quite excited to do it because it is a really super varied job. You, you, you sort of, the, the whole cradle to grave thing that used to be something very appealing in the past isn't there for everyone it's there for some gps but perhaps you know for the the london gps you don't feel it as much and that's that's a shame but there's a lot to be said about just every 10 minutes you are experiencing something else seeing something else you are literally it's like a roller coaster i genuinely by the end of the day i was completely knackered <laughs> because high with excitement because someone was so happy to be finally pregnant and then you were low to the bottom because someone was really in a lot of pain and then you are high again <laughs> for another reason emotionally every 10 minutes you are shifting and changing and your the things you're thinking about are different and you're flipping between specialties so there's a lot great about general practice um and there's a lot that i loved and that i found stimulating but on the other side of that, it's exhausting. I mean, it became very exhausting. And I definitely found the more kids that I had, actually, and the more, the best way I could describe it is that I, I was so full of managing risk and responsibility and caring and thinking about people. And then having to do that at home as well for more and more and more people, I literally felt like I was you know, just being drowned in how many people I was always thinking about and it got to a point where I was um, waking up at night worrying about my patients and that was really hard when the next hour I was waking up at night because of a child and then an hour later a patient and then an hour later a child yeah it just it got really it just got really exhausting and there are so many people out there who can totally balance that and manage you know lots of children general practice but for me personally, it just became it just became really hard. And I felt like I was 
starting to burn out. And it was really sad. It was like the beginning of my GP career. It was so early on. And I already felt as though I was burning out. And I thought, how am I going to turn this around so that I can still do, you know, do medicine and still enjoy and use what I've learned, um, but not completely knacker myself in the mm, Absolutely. No. Absolutely. In terms of the GP, I only got a taste of it for four months as an F2 and I found it incredibly challenging compared to hospital medicine. So in A&E or on the medical take or part of the medical team, you've got bloods, you've got imaging, you've got scans, you've got anything you you want that's an yeah. objective marker whilst yeah. being in there for 10 minutes with just yeah. maybe some vitals. It's so, so yeah. difficult. It's very uh, hard and it's hard because... There's two things. So there's, it's hard because I, I'll never forget one of my one of the senior GPs saying to me, and and then I really wished he hadn't said that to me, but it was good when he went. Mm. You know, when they leave the room, that's it, isn't it? That's your contact with them <laughs> gone. So what you've said in those ten minutes and the treatment that you provide in those ten minutes, that's it, because they're gone. And you're you're very unlikely <laughs> you might call them and talk about blood results and this, but mm. you have to feel secure and safe that what you've done and what they've left with is is the best that you can and the safest. Because in hospital, mm. when you leave the door, there's like 10,000 people still there, you yeah. know, able to keep an eye on. And if there's a problem, you know, they know what to do. Literally. So that's, yeah, that was definitely something about general practice that was tricky. A question on on this though, do, do you think the expectations on a general practitioner is unrealistic right now with the the amount of patients expected to see, the burden of administration, 10 minutes? I, I can't even say hello in 10 minutes to a patient. So <laughs> like, is it, un, uh, is it, is, does this have to change? Yes, for sure. Something has to change somewhere because one of the reasons why I felt so burnt out and actually why I was waking up at night thinking about someone was that breast lump definitely okay or did I actually or did have I missed something or could that have turned into meningitis it was because everything was so so rushed in many ways you have to rush and I think one of the reasons you have to rush is because when in the past when you knew Barbara and her son and her daughter and her mom and her grandma, when they'd come in for 10 minutes, you would know their history to an extent already. You'd already have a rapport that you'd built. You'd already have an element of trust. Now, certainly where I was working, you know, in, in London practices, it was almost always someone else. And you remember at medical school when you're taught to take a history and it's 45 minutes it takes you because you've got pieces of paper like TB, heart, you know, like systems review at the end. You then cut that down to half an hour. You then cut it down to 15 and you're proud of yourself. But wait, you've got 10 minutes in a GP consultation to find out everything you need to know about that person. Oh, wait, and diagnose them and treat them and order the scan. It's it's very, it, I think it's very, very challenging. I've, I certainly found it really, really hard. And I'm so much in awe of GPs. I think they do just the most crazily intense, um, yeah, challenging job. Yeah, super mm, absolutely. No. Incredible. So you graduate, foundation training, do GP, starts to feel burnt out. Um, what comes next? What happened after the GP? When do you essentially make this leap or this transition slowly into the world of health tech, yeah. med tech? 
So for me, it was more that always alongside general practice, I was doing writing, I was doing marketing, I was creating little things, like just always on the side, like I was creating a basic life support course for local mums because we had a choking incident and so on and so forth. So doing all these little things, marketing them, producing content. Then I started a blog because I thought it was fun. So I was doing all these things sort of on the side that were kind of mixing social media and medicine. And this was more in the earlier days where you didn't have lots of doctors uh, online and in social media. So it was at the beginning of that. And I thought that was really fun and engaging. And while I was doing that on the side of general practice, I got approached by Baby Center to do blogging for them. Then I got approached by Babylon saying they're looking for somebody who loves social media, who enjoys marketing and writing to write content for them. And I literally was like, this is this, how does this job even exist? Like, where has this come from? It just came came out of nowhere via LinkedIn, actually. So they approached me. They said, do you want to do a bit of freelance for us? We're going to send you some work. You check it. You write it. Um, and, yeah, that's that's where it began. So that, so actually my transition in was not me actively seeking it, but it was the more they, came to you. They, uh, they came to me because I had a, um, a LinkedIn profile that showed all that stuff that I was interested in, I suppose. And so mm-hmm. I came up in a search for the recruiter. Mm. So one of the articles we shared on Peer and you wrote was the importance of having an online presence, the personal branding. Yeah. Obviously it works in your favor. Let's say you were a clinician, you never shared any of your content online. You weren't even searchable on LinkedIn. You wouldn't have got that opportunity, right? Someone else would have been there, right? So tell us how important it is, if not even more important in this day and age for clinicians to actively be online per se. Yeah, I, I think I think it is very important if you like it and if you enjoy it and are willing to put time in. I don't think I don't think it's something that I would say, you know, absolutely everybody has to do because if you feel uncomfortable and it comes across that you're uncomfortable or that you're not authentic, there are other ways of being out there. You can network in person, you can attend conferences. There are other things that you can do that you're comfortable with. But if you're comfortable and and enjoy it, because it takes time, it does take a lot of time, and very often that pays off, but it takes a lot of time. So you need to you need to enjoy it, I think, to to do it. But I, I don't think there's any harm in, for example, LinkedIn, which I think is very sort of light touch social media. You know, you don't have to, you know, put ridiculous selfies or have amazing backdrops or anything like that. You just literally put who you are and what you're interested in. And then you just network and follow and talk to people that you're also interested in. That's quite nice. Mm. So you don't have no. to go full hog Instagram website, yeah. you know, all out there. You can, you can pick and choose what, what suits you no. no amazing when you were embarking on this journey of putting content out there of um, blogging mm-hmm. uh, and so forth were you conscious of i'm doing this to build a brand or i need to uh, i'm doing it in a way to be discovered and see what opportunities come to me or was it one of those things passion passion hobby that then suddenly attracted um opportunities yeah so it was the latter for me it was um you know, the, the burnout and the stress, it was stress relief. Mm. So I mean, mm. doing something creative and being able to put my medical knowledge and my interests. And I've always loved writing ever since I was very small. I used to write lots of books for my parents and staple them. And I used to sell them 
And I had like a, a fake home library full of my own books <laughs> that I'd authored. I would sell them to people and rent, you know, rent out books. So I, this is stuff that I always just really like doing. So it, it, for me, it was like um, stress relief, you know, on the side. Yeah. But now I have to say, now I do approach things differently. So now the way, um, the way I write and the things I post are more about it. Everything online for me is a bit like a portfolio. It's like a, if I wanted to change careers or if somebody was to come and approach me, I want them to be able in a snapshot to see in a way what my skills are and what I have experience in. So it has changed. Hmm. It has changed. I still really enjoy yeah. doing it. But now it's a yeah. job. <laughs> it's not stress relief yeah. anymore. <laughs> no, definitely. So, at what point? So, were you doing the the Babylon content marketing while practicing as a GP? At what point did you essentially go full time and stop practicing as a clinician? Yeah. So I was freelancing on the side of practicing clinically, and I kept going, kept going, mm-hmm. kept going. Then COVID happened okay when covid happened um i i i I, you know i I helped out with vaccination and everything else because babylon also had the gp you know clinical side of it as well so i did some Mm. sessions there too um but then uh, when it came to our decision as a family to move to relocate to cyprus then at that point i had to make a decision and basically say you know, I I can't keep revalidating. I contacted the GMC and they said, you know, we we recommend that you don't continue staying on the GMC register now that you're moving abroad. And and at that point I thought, okay, well, now's the time to stop practicing clinically, make the move to Cyprus. And just as all of this was happening, Flo approached me again via LinkedIn, which is the moral of the story. (laughs) LinkedIn. (laughs) Uh, via LinkedIn again, um, one of the in-house recruiters to say that this particular role of medical advisor at Flow had come up, and yes, you can work from Cyprus, which was just absolutely amazing and awesome when I when I asked them. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's how I ended up working at Flow. No, that's incredible, amazing. and I think you are. It seems as if you are in the right place at the right time for those opportunities. Yeah. But more importantly, you took on those opportunities. I imagine there are a lot of clinicians that are keen to explore these opportunities. And even if they arise, they're, they're, despite how difficult it is being a clinician, they're still in a world of comfort. And they don't want to kind of step out of that zone and do what you're doing. Um, the question I wanted to ask was, and we want to kind of break down this, this, this world, this alternative career outside of medicine. The, the term medical advisor, what does it even mean? So so what does your job actually entail? You'd be surprised because we get so many messages from people saying we hear it. You know, it's a very small number of people online sharing it and, yeah. it, you know, it rolls off the tongue. We assume everyone knows it, right? Yeah. But for the average listener, what does it even mean? What does it mean? My husband asks me yeah. this all, I swear to God, once a month. What do you actually do? <laughs> what do you do? Why do you have a salary? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think definitely I do feel medics really don't understand because you're so used to being on the ground clinically, seeing patients, mm. dealing with very concrete, like real things, real life. And this feels so removed from that. Um, medical advisor, the term, I don't know what it means. To, to be honest, they could probably apply to lots of things. Medical advisor at Flow, there are a bunch of us 
um, there's a the little team of us and we all do slightly different things. There's a group of us that look after content and we're the ones who really love content. So we make sure everything is as scientifically sound, clinically accurate, safe. We manage risk, you know, of every article that we put out because at Flow, when you put out an article, um, it's over a quarter of a billion users, right? Which is crazy. So one in five, I remember being told this stat the other day, that one in five women in the US of reproductive age use flow. And actually, whenever I go to a party or something, I say, oh, I'm a medical advisor. I say, what the hell is that? And then I say, oh, I work at flow. And they go, oh, I use flow. <laughs> that happens all the time. Um, so yeah, so we what we do, basically the, the medical advising lot is we just make sure that everything that is in there is as safe as possible. Because when it goes out to that many people, you need to have your doctor's brain on and say, this piece of content, in my experience, is it safe for such a wide proportion of people, such a huge number of people? You could you could just copy something from a well-known website, health website as well, which we know is safe. But again, is that engaging enough? Is it fun enough? So what our job really is, is balancing something, making something really engaging and fun and a bit different and making people want to read it, like health entertainment, basically. But super clinically, medically accurate, super safe. We work with practicing clinicians because we also recognize our limitations. Those of us that are working as medical advisors, for example, are working full time. We're not doing any clinical work at all. So obviously the more time you're out, even though we're up to date, we're always reading you know, the journals, like everything, we're going to conferences, still we're not practicing clinically. So we also, everything we do, we run past clinically practicing doctors in a variety of specialist fields, whatever's needed for that particular article. So um, yeah, that's that's basically the content side. But, but there are also medical advisors that work on the medical programming side. So they work with the AI stuff, with the chatbots, with the virtual assistants. Um, we have all these widgets to do with symptom patterns where people log headache and we see, oh, is there a pattern between when you're logging a headache and your cycle? Could it be this? So uh, there are a variety of medical advisor roles, basically, mm. and the definition of what it is, I I don't know, but that's what we I do. Think, it. <laughs> it seems like it's one of those terms like health tech. When health tech first started, no one really knew what health tech meant. <laughs> But it just mm. it, it was applicable to everything and anything. But um, you answered the question, which was essentially when you are out of being a practicing clinician, we know that comes with its own advantages and perks. And you're in the content industry. How do you make sure you're on point? How do you make sure you're up to date? And like you said, you discuss it with practicing clinicians. And I think they feel that gap that mm. is very difficult to get when you haven't yes. seen patients for many, many yes. years. Um, are you are you able to give an example of maybe a piece of content that you had to review and and you thought okay we had to adjust it because our user base would interpret it like this is there anything that comes to mind straight away oh man there will be there will be so many i mean there, mm. there will be absolutely loads i can't think of one right off the top of my um okay maybe maybe as an example so we we work very closely we have quite a big team when we produce content we have a lot of editors, we have writers, we have proofreaders, we have designers. There's, there's actually so much that goes on behind the cre content creation. And, um, and very often we'll produce, say, um, an image to accompany an article. And it's really, it's so important that we keep an eye even on, the, on that stuff. So even say the content itself is correct and accurate, it's been checked by a practicing clinician, it's all good. 
but we have to make sure we keep an eye on the image. And we had one time where we were looking at uh, polycystic ovaries, for example. I'm just trying to think of an example, uh, a recent one. And the way that they were drawn was was completely not at all like polycystic ovaries because why would they? Why would a designer know what polycystic ovaries, you know, necessarily? And the worst part is if you Google things, if you just Google and copy an image, it's very often the joys of medical misinformation, really wrong. So you will Google, find an example of a wonderful image. You'll say, oh, this is it. This is polycystic ovaries. And you'll draw it and then it'll come by us and we'll be like, no, <laughs> this is and then you Google and you realize, yes, this is actually what people are being shown. This is what's being shown as a standard representation of polycystic ovaries. It's absolutely not what polycystic ovaries are like. You put that out to over a quarter of a billion people and they learn that this is what it is and this is what it looks like. And it's incorrect. So mm. that's not like a major, that's not a risky thing. I can't think no, of the top but, of my head right now of something yeah. more major. No, but that's a, that's a great example um, no, to show where the value proposition is. So no, absolutely. I absolutely get it completely. No, definitely. And I can see roles like yourself will become more popular and more common as you get more health tech startups that are, you know, what we've noticed is a lot of health tech startups are founded by non-clinicians, non-medical background individuals. Um, for some reasons and I think the clinicians go in and kind of make sure the right information is out there the the question I wanted to ask was a lot of opportunities came to you due to online exposure you being out there so what does the individual who is interested in health tech or a med tech job how do they get started what is the flow from being a clinician to you know the CV the interview where do you even find these opportunities? Where are they hidden? Because I did an experiment, you know, two days ago. It took me hours to find a half decent role online. Like, where are they hidden? What's that say? That ask me that again. Where are these opportunities? How do you start that journey health as a clinician into health tech? Yeah, into yeah. health tech. Yeah, I've been so because I had a slightly weird way in. So for me, it wasn't so much that I was that I was uh, seeking them, let's say, but but I was because I was seeking different opportunities and I was open to them. So in a way, I guess I was. I was going to things like Medic Footprints, for example. I don't know if you've heard of them and just seeing what else is out there, what other career options are out there. So having having your eyes open to that. And I found definitely health tech loves tech. I mean, that just it just does. Right. It is tech. So anything, anywhere tech, like LinkedIn, where everything is, you know, social media involves some kind of technology is a great place to go to find these opportunities. And, um, you know, following other medical advisors in tech, following companies that are health tech companies, these kinds of things on LinkedIn and just following them, interacting with them, seeing them post job opportunities is one way for sure. And just, just going for it, just sending your CV and just applying. Another thing that works quite nicely sometimes is just um, just reaching out on LinkedIn to someone uh, that, that is doing a role similar to what you might like and just finding out about it and seeing if they've got time to maybe talk to you about it. That's also one way. Uh, networking, James Somaru's uh, health tech podcast, which I was listening to, he, he now does these sort of Google Cloud, Somex meetups, and they are very social, 
you go, you listen to others speaking about their health tech journey, and you network with lots of others who are either at the beginning of setting up a company, a health tech one, or uh, have quite an established one. And that's a great way as well to find out about job opportunities and to network too. Mm. No, Amazing. Definitely. And I think um, it is going to start becoming more and more popular, more and more prevalent. And I think the beauty is, so I don't know if this, this is a change in training generations, whereas it used to be very competitive as medics and clinicians. They would never openly share information, whereas the new cohort of health tech advisors or medical advisors like yourselves are openly sharing, this is what I do, I like my job, these are what entails, reach out to me and I'll tell you how to get into the industry. And I think it's refreshing to see that, whereas clinicians generally are a bit of a, you know, the type A personality very competitive will keep all the resources to themselves so i don't know what your thoughts are on that yeah you know when i was so when i was getting into all of this there was i swear to god there was nobody there was just nobody out there and they must be they must have been but they just weren't talking about it so you know so you you never you never found out you never heard about it and i can understand why people are quite anxious and quite you know precious and you know because very often in health tech you you there's no well-trodden path so you create and when you create your job and you create your role you really love it because you pick all the bits that you like like at flow i do a bit of marketing i love a bit of social i love a podcast so you you create and you make your own little kind of niche and you become quite protective of it because you're like you know you feel a bit threatened you, you you've got this role that you've worked quite hard and you know uh, uh you really enjoy and i suppose there is that element of maybe being anxious about sharing it with people but I think there are so many, increasingly so many opportunities out there, especially after COVID, especially because the tech is just getting better and better and better. So the opportunities are becoming more and more. So I think, yeah, there, the, people are more happy to talk about it. And actually, we need people. It's really hard to find people that come to us at Flow. We're actually trying to recruit right now a medical advisor. So if there's anybody, please come find me because we do. Yeah, we do. We want we want people to come to come and and apply for for these roles, and as a result, we want to shout about it, and we want everyone to know that it's a great career opportunity, no. to, so we can recruit. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think I think one major thing also with with the recruitment aspect of it is that as doctors and medics, like you said, it seems like an un untrodden, unknown territory, right? I'm only good at taking histories and diagnosing and treating. What do I know about X, Y, and Z? And I think people like yourself opening up, talking about what you do, you can, you, you start to make, it makes sense for us what you do now when, when you talk about, I proof check, fact check, make sure it's not interpreted in the wrong way when a billion odd people might see it. Um, so I think, I, I think it all makes sense. And I think the other thing is, now we're in a time where medics are starting to explore mm -hmm. other careers and it's because of, I guess, sometimes they go into a career and they don't actually like it, it doesn't meet their expectations, sometimes they're looking for a better work-life balance, sometimes they're looking for a more social environment which might not be in the NHS. Um, so I think people like yourself sharing it now are opening doors and allowing doctors to, I guess, not stay miserable and trapped, <laughs> but into into another place now so definitely awesome to see yeah no definitely don't stay miserable and trapped and i, and I remember no. that um, that my husband was just was and actually i think a lot of people and my family and everyone and even myself were really skeptical at the beginning thinking what could you possibly do other than medicine you've got a medical degree 
what could you possibly like? There's there's nothing else. What farmer? That's it. That's all. Right? And that and and so I think definitely now that more of us are talking about it and and health tech, I have found has been an amazing way of combining medical experience and expertise with something more creative. It's quite fast paced. It's flexible, yes, but also you've got to be just really like super reactive because you're working in something that's not well established. You haven't got a protocol. You haven't got a guideline. You're making the protocols. You're making these guidelines. And there's something so nice about that. It's challenging still. Just like medicine is challenging. You have a lot of responsibility, still manage quite a lot of risk, but you can be creative and you, you sort of can a product and watch it grow it's it's very nice no. so it's, it's a really lovely it's a really lovely role no. definitely amazing yeah and i think you're right it feels after a very long time clinicians and medics are allowed to kind of foster that creativity that you have before you start medical school and during medical school that kind of gets drummed out of you especially during foundation training and specialty training right and, and medics are creative to a certain degree that's why what people say it's the night so it is nice the night shifts beat it out of you don't they creativity yeah, <laughs> yeah it's gone creativity what what creativity you want me to, to sit down and write and think about this art like, it's only a bleep documentation and uh, prescribing that's, that, that, that's, that's as creative as you get right yeah you may get to use a fancy pen <laughs> but ha, ha, so Going back to the beginning, how are you mentally now mm-hmm. in terms of your mental well-being? We talked about burnout. Where are you now? Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm sleeping. So that's a that's a yeah. major plus. That's a good bonus. <laughs> yeah. I'm sleeping really well, <laughs> which I didn't for many years. Uh, and, and I feel like I am ticking that creativity box that I lacked or that I didn't lack, but I was doing it in other ways. I was doing it in other unpaid around my work ways. And now it's actually so nice to have a job that you do that, that ticks all the boxes of the things that you enjoy and you're paid for it. You know, you don't have to go seeking for that creativity somewhere else and squeezing it in around the side of what is a very stressful career. You can actually combine it into your career. And it's not just being a medical advisor at Flow or working in content. I think there are so many opportunities out there for doctors to be more creative and to try other things. It doesn't have to be in tech, for example. You you can always find something that that suits you, but but traditional medicine is such that you won't necessarily find it where you are you've got to look outside yeah you've got to look outside or create something if you can for yourself yeah. no definitely Absolutely. And, and you can tell like um just listening to you and seeing you can tell how vibrant and happy and energetic you are right it's so definitely do the right thing <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get a lot of messages on linkedin after this episode so, by the way <laughs> so that so the question now is, do you see yourself ever going back into clinical medicine, practicing as a clinician, um, or are you kind of set on, this is the journey, I'm sure there'll be variations in the job and the roles, but clinical medicine itself, do you think you'll ever go back? Maybe, yes. I would never say never to it, actually. Mm. Mm. And I would only, I was having this conversation with some friends and with my husband recently saying, I would only ever go back to it if it weren't exactly the same as it was when I left. So if I had okay. more time per patient, I felt like I had more resources. I felt like I could mm. give my 
my best. I could finish at the end of the day and feel like I wasn't rushed to death. I did my best and I feel really great about it. And I feel like I made a difference. Then yes, I would. Hmm. Where I was no, before, definitely. I would never want to go, absolutely never want to go no. back to that, especially compared to now that I've seen what else I can do, what other jobs there are out there. Yeah. But in Cyprus, life is different. Medicine is different. You have the opportunity to 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 create your own clinical sort of environment more mm. than in the UK mm. and in the NHS. So that's no. why I would never say never. But uh, but right now, this is by far the the best suiting for me job for my family for just what I enjoy doing at this point in time. Yeah. No. Definitely. Amazing, amazing. And I think we were speaking to a few consultants as well, and it was the future of clinicians and consultants, particularly, will be a hybrid role, mm -hmm. not just being a clinician. But we envision that maybe a day or two will be spent working for a med tech company or a health tech company, even in a consulting fashion. And it will be—it's probably a dream. We don't know if it's ever going to happen or not. But it will be like a hybrid role where clinicians aren't just going to be practicing clinicians; they're going to be having multiple roles and responsibilities outside of medicine um, especially in the uk the the question is can you do these jobs while being a full-time doctor is that how do you test the waters because you know medics right we're risk averse to a certain degree <laughs> we follow what we've been taught there's a checklist i know where i'm going to be in six years time i know what the training pathway is is there a way to experience it taste it how do people interested in go about it yeah it's a very good without having to leave the job this comes up all the time and i was talking to a load of quite senior medical advisors people who were there right at the beginning and we were all talking about mm. our sort of experiences and how it had been and we realized that some people just apparently burn their ships this is how it was described just burn your ship oh, just, wow. i'm out i've had enough i'm done burn my bridges burn my ships i'm gone and and what <laughs> i find when i leave you know Good luck to me, but I just don't want to be where I am anymore. And there are some people who mm. do that, but actually most people that I know will do it, will have a bit of a transition period because they don't really know what is medical advisor even? Do I really want to do this job? Do I like it? Yeah. Mm. So this is, I think where there's a bit of a mismatch between health tech and, uh, and, and recruiting as well is where, because you're right, people are quite risk averse. Also, we've got revalidation, right? We need to do our GMP, yeah. like there's all these things. So it's very difficult without experience of a health tech company to know for sure you want to do it and just give up all of that other stuff, mm. all the revalidation and just, and just give up and just dive straight in. So there is a bit of a mismatch there where we're sort of expecting people to, to, to get stuck in, but they might not want to risk giving up yeah. their clinical work so yeah this i have honestly do not have the answer to mm. this for you i don't know anyone who does there there are definitely there's the opportunity to do some entry-level health tech i've seen them on linkedin there are some companies mm. that offer entry-level health tech where you can still do a few sessions a week of medicine and you do mm. a couple of sessions a week of health tech so that is definitely okay. out there uh, it, mm. it is definitely an option. You've just got to keep your eyes peeled for those. So those okay. options are there. But I agree. I think increasingly, if we want people, we if we want to attract people, we need to permit them in some way to do some clinical work as well, if they're in the UK and that's something that they need to do. In Cyprus, yeah. that's not the case. <laughs> so, it's different. 
Mm. Now, yeah, I think the, the middle ground we see or it feels as if it's lots of doctors are interested. They want to taste it. They want to see if it's a role for them and then commit. Whereas many of the roles or many people like yourself kind of went needy, plunged into it, left clinical medicine. Whereas the nature of medics are not like that. Um, I'll describe you as an outlier yeah in, in this kind of industry right if it makes sense um because the vast majority of medics are are interested but yeah you know very few will go on and act upon it which is quite interesting yeah um, but remember at babylon i was only doing 10 hours a week freelance and i was trying it, mm. tasting it seeing if i liked it but i was otherwise working clinically on the side exactly. so i also was the same i was mm. quite risk averse and quite anxious about it but mm. as I spend more and more time there and realized I liked it, then the clinical work went down and the, the marketing okay. and content went up. Yeah. Let's see what you mean. The, the, the question I had was, do you feel because you are a GP in that lifestyle that you are more receptive to these type of work and opportunities compared to someone who's in the middle of hospital training? it's a different dynamic ball game right so gps are naturally work-life balance a bit more conscious they're already doing things outside of the, the clinical role whereas hospital trainees the training pathway is double if not longer than gp training do you think that played a, an element and it's a bit easier for gps to make that leap yeah and whether it's because my circle is such that because i'm a gp i have more gps in my network and that's why i see more gps in tech than other specialties or mm. is it actually that because we're a bit more portfolio minded or well, not just portfolio yeah. minded, but we have the opportunity to be more portfolio minded exactly. that we, we do, we get more involved in these kinds of other projects, whether it be health tech or anything else. Yeah. That's a, mm. that's a good point. I imagine it would be very challenging. I sort of think of my husband's a surgeon and I think certainly it's not like they're going to give him a day off right a week <laughs> like, hey mate do you know what go go and explore it's not it's not like gp were like i'm gonna only work for this week i'm gonna locum right as i said you're no like it doesn't work right off. and even actually i remember when i was a junior gp trainee the only way you could work part-time was if you had a child or some kind of massive okay. extenuating mm. circumstance so even then yeah, yeah long ago actually uh and i don't i'm not sure whether hospital medicine has caught up with giving people mm. sessions here and there to explore other things and to be more creative or do other things on the side. I think it'd be good for yeah. everyone because I think it's great to have practicing clinicians have involvement mm. in tech and it doesn't have to be companies like flow and everything else. It can be companies yeah. that actually tech that makes a difference on the ground, like in your operating theater or mm. in the GP clinic office that there's, mm, there's tech no. everywhere it doesn't have to be this kind of tech company any tech it'd be great to have clinicians that are working and that would need to use it involved mm. in creating it no for sure absolutely i do have to say the asp the portfolio aspect of uh, being a general practitioner um, is becoming more and more appealing to this current generation of uh, medics and doctors just because of the aspect of it doesn't have to be uh, this whole entrepreneurial side or whether it's health tech or med tech. Sometimes it's just so you can be a GP and also be a passionate violinist or something like that. Um, just to be able to pursue a passion, you know, because again, like we said, the hospital uh, environment hasn't caught up in that sense. And you're finding that you're doing long on-call hours, 12-hour shifts, sometimes 70-hour weeks. Um, so where are you going to fit in your sports and your um, mu mu musical instruments and things like that. 
Um, yeah. So maybe the the tide is shifting for the GP brand image, and now people are yeah. saying, "I do want to be a GP." <laughs> yeah, no, it is definitely. a great job, though. It is it is a wonderful job, and you know, burnout aside. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. That, every, that just removing that. <laughs> no, <laughs> but not everybody feels the same, and not everybody has three kids under the age of four, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So it depends itself. on the person, you know, and your life. That's yeah. another three full-time jobs so that's, you've that's got. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> exactly. so you're, you're, you're on full throttle. The, I'm conscious of time, and we'll, we'll wrap up soon because I know you're busy. The, the other question we'll get asked, and I know they're gonna they're gonna destroy us if we don't ask, was what does an average week or an average day look like? So we know your role, we know what you do, the importance of the role, but how does an average week or average day look like? Are the the days the same? Because clinical medicine, it's the same thing, ward round on calls, unwell patients. How is it in your side of the world? Yeah, so there, there, I mean, there is some similarity and there is some repetition. And when it comes to the way flow works anyway, in content production, it is very, it is quite regimented in the sense that we mm. plan, we work in two weekly sprints, we know exactly what we're doing, we have metrics, we're accountable for all our actions. So it's it's a very mm. finely oiled machine, <laughs> certainly on okay. the content side. So because of that, we have to have set meetings every, not every day, but every couple of days. And we do have a rotor of sorts and we do on call you won't believe but we do on call oh, wow. we answer users queries so when you need a medical input into a query or a concern or something we have to do the research for that we have to reply so we do have an element of that and an element mm. of repetition but no no two days are the same because everything okay. that you work on last week I, or this week this week i'm i'm going to pretend to be a tampon for a tiktok video <laughs> that's only going to happen this week and will never happen again <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. No, there are these kinds of things the content that we write about is is varied um but we do obviously because it's an advisory role there are a mm. lot of meetings you you do have okay. to very much be there and be present when there are questions and to help guide and to answer and to make sure things are are clinic mm, no. as possible so half yeah. of my day i would say are meetings and the other mm -hmm. half of my day, you get to be more creative. You get to review things, come up with ideas, uh, film yourself as a tampon, stuff like that. <laughs> no, it's a split. No, it's that good. sounds uh, very different to the clinical lifestyle of just patients every ten minutes. No, <laughs> which, yeah, which is amazing. It's good, and I think um, a lot of people yearn for that variety, that exciting, that you know, I don't know what the day is going to bring me today which is very different in medicine because I know already what I'm going to be facing when I go to the wards tomorrow. I already know. <laughs> like, yeah, like I, and I know it's going to be the same in a month's year time, in two years time, you know, so, so, so there's no variety there. But um, the, the, the thing we wanted to end with um, and just kind of recap is what advice would you give to clinicians um, that are maybe looking to explore this world or this alternative career? What, what high you would information would you like to give yeah i i would say be really honest with yourself about what you want and what you like just be really honest with yourself because sometimes it's easy to be really unhappy where you are and just want to jump just go anywhere just want to jump but actually if you sit and you really think i really loved writing books a lot when i was a child i really love marketing i really enjoy social media 
that will help guide you where you can go, what kind of things to explore. So I would say be, be as honest as you can with yourself and what you really love and what you enjoy, because actually leaving, leaving medicine is not all roses and all amazing. You might find that what you try doesn't suit you and it isn't what you thought. And actually you miss the one-to-one patient interaction. So mm. it's, it's easy to, to idolize and to think that it's something really you know amazing and special. It is amazing and special if that's what you enjoy. If that yeah. is what you absolutely get a kick out of, then definitely ticks your boxes and you feel fulfilled. But if you want to escape, first, just think really hard about what is it that actually gives you pleasure? What is it that you enjoy? And let that guide you. And whether that be you increase your social media presence or your LinkedIn presence to show off those things that you love, or you network with people that are doing things that you like and that you enjoy, that's, you know, you can, you can find your way out through those, through those avenues. But first, just assess what is it that you're looking for? And what is the problem? What is the gripe that you have? And what is the thing that you really want to change? Because it's all too easy to just want to jump and just to want to leave. But that's true. And yeah. <laughs> will you really love no. it? Yeah. <laughs> so be brutally no. honest, I think, with yourself is what is what I would say, first of all. Um, and then, yeah, my, my other advice, like I said before, is just get yourself out there. Get yourself on LinkedIn. Yeah. Listen to these podcasts. Network with people. Reach out. Feel free to message me if you're listening to this and you have any questions. Um, because that's the way you're going to find out more about what is out there. Just keep your eyes open. No, definitely. Absolutely. I think those are two very good pieces of advice. Uh, and I like the, 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 what you said about, especially when you hate your job and you're looking for a way out and any opportunity comes across and you just want to jump yeah. for it, thinking life is better, right? The grass is green. And then you realize, oh man, I hate my job even more. <laughs> and you're stuck, right? Because he left and you can't go back. So, so that's, that's very good advice. We should put that at the beginning of the podcast <laughs> and then started it, right? But um, no, thank you. Thank you so much, Claudia, for taking the time out uh, to talk about your journey, talk about what you're doing. We do need a lot more people like yourself sharing it, writing mm. articles. I have to say your writing is very good. Oh. It is very good. The, the, the articles written, I did enjoy reading them. Thank you. Uh, but no, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. Lovely to meet you.